Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for the gift of your word. And I thank you that we can open it up this morning um, and learn from you um, in your word, about your word, and the power that your word can have in our life. So God, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly and communicate your truth well. And God, may you allow your word to be profitable and useful in our lives to make us more godly and more upright before you. I pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Oh, I got clips. Check this out. Everybody tells me this stuff. All right, well, we will be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We'll see how this works out. All right. So, if you've been in the church for a while or you've studied theology in any way, you'll know that these verses are... Um, pretty well-known, some of the most well-known verses in Scripture, especially verse 16. And that's because this verse is especially significant for our understanding of the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, um, which is obviously super helpful. The doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture is is the reason why what we are doing right now and our study of Scriptures is um, important and effective. But the problem with a verse that is so well known and it is used so theologically um, is that it's easy for us to forget that it's, it's written in a context to a particular people or to a particular person for a particular purpose. So this verse is actually written for theological and pragmatic or practical reasons. So our task today is to understand 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 within their literary context. So within the context in which this letter, 2 Timothy, is in so that we can properly apply the theological truth of the inspiration of scripture to our lives. So, 2 Timothy uh, is one of the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And they are are letters that Paul is writing to other pastors, to people who were his associates, who now are pastoring the churches that Paul and they planted. So Timothy, the receiver of this letter, is living and pastoring in the city of Ephesus. And in this letter in particular, Paul wants to remind Timothy of the truth of the gospel in order to encourage him in his pastoral work in Ephesus. And that work in Ephesus isn't easy. There's lots of trouble that is there. And and chapter 3 of this letter starts to depict some of that trouble. And begins, that chapter, chapter 3, begins with a pretty graphic descriptions of times of difficulty which are likely already upon Timothy and the church in Ephesus. So during this time and in the future, 
People will be full of sin. They'll intentionally try to lead people astray from God. And Timothy is dealing in particular with people who oppose the truth. So oppose the truth of the gospel, who oppose the word of God. So Paul sets this up as as this context that Timothy is working in, but he quickly shifts the discussion and turns to Timothy. And he does what he's already done throughout the letter, and he starts to encourage him. Because Timothy isn't like these opponents. Timothy isn't like these people who are causing trouble. He's not like the people who are opposing the truth. So in 3.10, Paul begins to encourage Timothy by reminding him of how Timothy has imitated Paul and followed his teaching and his general Christian conduct and his faith. And then in verse 14, Paul begins to charge Timothy to continue in that way. Timothy must continue in what he has learned in the gospel and the sacred writings. Sacred writings referring to the Old Testament, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And those writings are able to lead him or make him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is reminding this pastor and leader of what conduct should look like and the source of that conduct, which is other faithful believers and God's word. So God's word, as, as we'll see, is absolutely essential to Timothy's life as a believer and as a pastor of a church. And this isn't just for Timothy. In just a few verses, in chapter 4, verse 2, Paul's going to command Timothy, exhort Timothy, to preach the word. And when he, when he describes why he should preach the word, he actually basically repeats what is in 3.16. So the word of God is important for the people of God. It's essential. It's necessary for the people of God. So right in between where Paul talks about Timothy and encouraging him in the word, and when he talks about how Timothy is to apply his knowledge of the word to the church, we have these verses, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The purpose of these verses is not to just give us doctrine, even though that is incredibly important. And we'll talk about the doctrine that it gives. They're there to show us how doctrine shapes and how doctrine forms us in Christ, how, how God's word forms us into the image of Christ. So as we look at these verses, what we'll see is that God gave us his word so that we might be godly. The purpose of Scripture is to make us more like Christ. But in order to fully understand this, we have to first fully discuss what is this doctrine of inspiration and how is that discussed in this particular verse. So that leads us to chapter 3, verse 16 at the very beginning. Let me just read the verses real quick. Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, ready for every good work. 
So Paul just finished giving this personal encouragement to Timothy. And the way the construction is written, there's like this emphatic shift in what Paul is doing, where he he emphatically reminds Timothy of this doctrinal truth. He's drawing attention to it. So it's, it's like Paul, in, in talking about how Scripture has formed Timothy, um, he, is, he is reminded of the truth of this doctrine and how important it is, and, and he has to proclaim the excellencies of God's Word and the profitability of having and understanding and knowing the Word of God. And the truth is that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So in that, we see that God is the source of Scripture. So the fact that it's breathed out by God simply means that God is the source. It is inspired by God. And another verse in the Bible communicates the same idea. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures were inspired by God. So that's the essential characteristic of scripture, that God is its source. It's his word. It's why the scriptures, it's why the Bible is true. It's why Timothy should preach it. It's why it is profitable. It's why it makes us wise to salvation. It's because it has its source in God. Because God has inspired it. We have the word of God. So the question is, and I think it's a question that Paul emphatically answers, and this is, is what the scriptures, what is inspired? What do we, what do we mean by the scriptures? So we must turn to that next to understand what word God gave us to make us godly. So the question is, exegetically, what, what does the phrase all scripture refer to? And the part of it that's not of any debate is that it definitely refers to the Old Testament. So just before in verse 15, uh, Paul says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to wake you wise to salvation in Christ Jesus. Throughout the New Testament and throughout Paul's writings, that phrase, sacred writings, always refers to the Old Testament scriptures as we know and have them today. So, I think this point is important for us to pause and consider. So that verse that I just read, verse 15, says that the Old Testament is able to make us wise for salvation. And I think this is an important point for us as, as a church, not that we, um, we certainly believe and preach and teach the Old Testament but I think in practice, we have to ask ourselves, do we, do we really think the Old Testament can make us wise for salvation? And Paul certainly thought so. The truth is, is that the Old Testament is foundational for Timothy's growth in Christ. It's profitable, as Paul says in verse 16. So the Old Testament is of value in shaping us into the character of God. So Paul House, in talking about this, he says that in the Old Testament, we see God developing people who are made in his image 
who trust in him. So he's developing those people into maturing, wise stewards of his world by providing his presence, resources, and practices for their lives in their homes, vocations, and communities. So in the Old Testament, we have God maturing people in Christ through his Old Testament word. So the Old Testament shows us how we are created in God's image. Even before sin, we were walking in obedience and trust in him so that we could be more and more like him. But then even after sin, God continually reveals his character to us. And then in Psalms 111 and 112, it's really interesting. We're not going to look at it today, but if you look at 111, it has all these descriptions of the character of God. And then in 112, verse by verse, they're parallel. It describes the man of God in the exact same way according to the character of God. And that's, that's what God's word is supposed to do. It is supposed to form us into God's character. And we can learn that from the scriptures in the Old Testament. So God desires that his people would display his image and his character to the world. And God provides the means to do that. He provides his presence. He provides his word. He gives his people prayer. He gives people the community of believers. And these truths haven't changed. They're still available to us today. And they're available in the Old Testament scriptures. So let us not neglect God's gift to us. Let us study, meditate on, and memorize the Old Testament scriptures so that we can be formed into the image of God so that we can display his character. So it's, it's interesting, because I, I don't think we think of it that way as much, but that's, that's the certain point. that when, when Paul says all scripture, he's referring to the Old Testament. Because we have to remember, when Paul's writing this, the New Testament writings largely don't exist, or aren't widely disseminated to all of the people. So the the question that is difficult maybe for us to answer is does this include the New Testament scriptures? When when we say that all scripture is breathed out by God, in this verse is Paul talking about what we would call the New Testament. And I think he is and I think there's a lot of evidence for it in Paul's writings and other writings in the New Testament. So there's a few different um, examples of this. So in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes Jesus and, and refers to it as scripture, as the sacred writings. So he puts, however he received that word, whether it was orally or it was written in whatever way, Jesus considered that word, or Paul considered that word, to be the scriptures. Second, Paul's writings are referred to as scripture in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom, wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks, of them, uh, speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So Peter 
puts Paul's writings, puts Paul's letters on the same level as Scripture, as the Old Testament. And then lastly, Paul, in his own writings and in various places in those writings, seems to consider his word to be the authoritative word of God. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. He, he commands them to read this letter. And if, if Paul just considers those to be just his word, just his teaching, the, he can't have that much authority in saying that. 1 Corinthians 14.37 If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul considered his writing to be the command of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. They're to stand firm in Paul's words. And we impart this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then we get to, to this letter in particular, 2 Timothy. Paul makes various references to his teaching. In chapter 1, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Then in chapter 2, verse 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul wants him to have other people teach his words, which is what we are doing today. We are preaching God's word. And then in 3.10, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then in 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, which is Timothy's mother and grandmother and Paul himself. He is to continue in what he has learned from Paul, which is the gospel and the other apostolic teaching. So, I know... All of you here would probably agree with what I am saying about this, but it's, it's so vital for us to understand and be encouraged in the fact that the, the scriptures that we have, this, the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Bible as we have it today, are God's word. It has its source in God. It's inspired by God. So let's pause for a minute and consider this truth. We have God's word. We take that for granted, I think. But but like how like listen to like we have God's word. This is the, the God who, de, who describes himself in Exodus as the merciful and gracious God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This, this good and gracious God has revealed himself to us. And we have unlimited access to know him. 
and know what he desires of us and know what he has designed to be the good life for us. So we, we know that we would affirm that. But we would, I know I would a lot of times, rather sleep in another 30 minutes instead of reading his word. We would rather watch Netflix than meditate on his word. We would rather flick through our social media stream than memorize his word. But we have God's word. And it, and it, it should be filling us constantly in our life because it's the word of God. And it's, it's essential for us. So if you pause and think about how, how much we, we lack to fill ourselves with it, it's, it's crazy. And I think, I think our lack of filling ourselves with God's word is, is why the, the church at large lacks godliness in so many ways. Because it's, it's God's word that makes us godly. God has given us his word to make us godly. And we start to see that next. The inspired word of God is profitable, and it's profitable in that it makes us godly. So after Paul identifies the source of scripture, and that all scripture is inspired by God, he very emphatically states that it's profitable. And it's profitable in two broad ways. It's profitable for right belief, for, for orthodoxy, for, for doctrine, and it's profitable for right living, for, for orthopraxy, for, for right practice. And these are described in both the, the positive sides of those things and, and in, in negative ways, how it, how it corrects us. So, scripture is profitable. So Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So Paul begins with the positive side of how we are taught doctrine and theological truth. Scripture is profitable for teaching or for instruction. So the content and truths in scripture instruct us as to what we are to believe. It teaches us about the character of God. It teaches us about the identity and person of Jesus Christ and his work in the gospel. And it teaches us the, the theological truths of the gospel and, and where we stand and who we are in Christ. We learn those things from the scripture so that we might be wise to salvation in Jesus Christ. So doctrinally, the negative side, how it, how it corrects us, Scripture is profitable for reproof. So specifically, this means that it convicts heresy. So, so those people that oppose the truth in chapter 3, Timothy or Paul is telling Timothy, you need to instruct those people with the word of God so that they are convicted of what they believe, so that they are corrected and their wrong belief is turned into right belief. So it's vital that we study and know the scriptures so that we don't fall into false belief because scripture refutes error. It guides us into correct thinking. So in terms of belief, scripture is profitable for instructing us in the truth and for revealing and refuting wrong thinking. And it's because it forms us in these ways 
that is profitable for our practice, for our right living. So he continues that it's scripture is profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. So here Paul flips it. He, be, he begins with the negative, with it, how it corrects us. So scripture corrects us. It sets us, it sets us right. It guides us into right conduct and corrects us when we fall into wrong conduct, when we live in ungodly ways. Scripture shows us what those are and corrects our improper behavior. But it also guides us into right behavior. Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. So doctrinally, we've been declared righteous in Christ. We have a right standing before God because of the work of Christ on our behalf. But the Bible can also use the word righteousness to be a virtue that we should be seeking. So as believers, we ought to be seeking righteousness. And scripture guides us in that it trains us in it. It's godliness, it's Christ-likeness, it's walking by the Spirit, it's putting on the new self, it's being conformed to the image of Christ. It's being in a right relationship with God and experiencing his presence. So God's word is profitable in making us godly. And these have been the ways in which it is profitable to that end, and that, that takes us to our end, our goal, to the purpose of God in inspiring Scripture. God breathed into Scripture so that we would be equipped for every good work. So Scripture equips believers. So God inspired Scripture so that his people would be complete. So this is in verse 17. So all Scripture is breathed out by God so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the man of God or the, the person of God, God, God gave the scripture so that all of the people of God would be complete, that we would all be well fitted to meet the need, to meet the demands of God. It's that the, the word complete could also be translated proficient. So that we would be proficient in godliness. So I think this is an issue, particularly in the in the Protestant Church. Um, I mean, we we stand by Martin Luther, right? That that salvation is by by faith alone, and by grace alone, and by Scripture alone. And I I think because of that we. Um, we're afraid of good works because we, we think that good works leads to legalism um, and that, that's completely false because good works is, is godliness. It's, it's all about our motivation of those works. Do we think that our works are going to earn us favor before God or not? And obviously we should not think that because we are saved by Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. But there's a tendency to think that godliness will just like pop up out of our lives, pop up into our lives, out of, out of nowhere. We'll just all of a sudden be godly. And we, and we get frustrated that we're not godly. But that's, that's not 
how the Bible teaches godliness. Think about, look at the language of verse 16. Scripture teaches us, which requires effort. It requires us to learn and sit and think about it. Scripture corrects heresy. It requires us to to change the way that we think. Scripture corrects wrong action, which requires conviction, repentance, and change in the way that we live. And Scripture trains us in righteousness. Again, in no other practice or skill in life do we think that we'll just automatically be good at it. If we, if we want to be more athletic, we, we know we have to train and work hard at it. If we want to be successful in our jobs, we have to, we have to work at it to be better at it. There's, anytime you start a new job, there's a training period. And the same thing applies to godliness. It's hard work. It's something that we need to pursue. It's something that we need to train in. And it's the scriptures that train us. It makes us proficient. So we must sit under the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, and we must read the word and let the word soak into our lives and and form us so that we would be equipped for every good work. So what does it mean to be proficient in godliness? It means that we're equipped for every good work. And scripture makes us ready to do those good works. And what's interesting, Paul, Paul uses this phrase, every good work, uh, throughout his writings. And you, and you see like where like God makes people abound for every good work but then he also commands people to abound in every good work. So, so how, does that, how does that dichotomy work out? How is it that, that God makes us abound and how is it that we abound? And it's through God's word. God causes us to abound in good works by knowing and studying his scripture and then we participate in that by applying it to our lives so that we would be godly. God has graciously given us his word so we may study and internalize it and be equipped. And as the spirit works, we're transformed by God's word. We apply it, we do good works, and we become more like God. So broadly, what does this mean for us today? And as I've said, I think obviously we have God's word, so we need to read and study God's word. But I think it's helpful to take it a step further. God gave us his word to make us godly. Another way of putting that is that we have the scriptures to help form us into the image of Christ. That's that's what Paul says in Romans 8, that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what we should be pursuing. But we live in an age of information. We, we are constantly bombarded with information, whether it's advertisements, social media, the news, movies, newspapers, books. Every, every moment of our life, we could be consuming information if we wanted to be because we have, we have so much access to it. 
And whether we know it or not, and whether it's intentional or not by those things or those people, they are trying to form us into their image. They are trying to make us more like them. So what, what we fill ourselves with, we are going to be conformed to that image to some degree or another. So we have to ask ourselves what we are allowing to form us. Are we being formed into the image of a political party? Are we being formed into the image we portray or we want to portray on social media? Are we being formed into the image of our work or career or aspirational identities, things that people and things that we want to be or be like? Are we formed into the image of our friends? The things that we spend our time on, the things that we constantly ingest are forming us to be more like them. So what is forming us? What's forming us as a church? What's forming us as individuals? We have God's inspired, holy scriptures. Their purpose is to make us complete. God, God created us and designed us so that we would reflect his character to the world. That is the only way we will find fulfillment is when we are formed into that image. The scriptures make us godly. They must form us. They must form us into the image of Christ. And everything else must be put under the authority of scripture because it's profitable. And ultimately, the question we need to ask ourselves is, will we let it be? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. You have graciously given it to us because you are a merciful and compassionate God. You are a God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, and you have shown us that in your word. And it is through your word that we have hope that you will continue to conform us to your image. We pray that you would do so. Lord, I pray that you would help me and that you would help all under the sound of my voice to apply your word to their lives so that we might be more like you. It's in your son's name.